sometimes. And when the weather's a bit colder and darker, it's an easy way to do that. So while our youth are away, um, living it up and, and having fun at state youth games, not sleeping for hours on end, and then they come back to us completely wrecked and we have to put up with them for the next two or three weeks. But apart from those things, whilst they're doing that, we're going to invite you to maybe have an extra neighbour over for, for a brunch or maybe connect with someone here and there's going to be some details next week about other activities you can be involved in on that community weekend as well. Welcome Archie. Uh, Archie's from East Timor and she's uh, a minister, a pastor of a church over there. She's been with us for a week. Um, We were here this morning at nine o'clock. We had some communion time and worship and song and it was brilliant. So uh, Archie heads back on Tuesday. Um, I believe the school that we've been looking at in Larry Sula, has that started yet, Nandy? Um, The ground has been broken. So the money that was raised, 60,000 at Christmas time, um, to build a school in East Timor is actually happening. The first sod has been turned. I don't get that, but that's what they do. And um, so you'll get more details about that. You can follow that project as uh, the finance that you put in actually is, is put towards building that over the, the next coming months. And I think there might be a team going back to actually see that uh, once it's been completed uh, along the way. I love that clip from I Am Sam. I love the clip from I Am Sam because it's the kind of community that I reckon Toby uh, should be part of. Uh, I mean, I see something of God in the way in which um, those friends said, you know, I don't have enough, but let's all chip in together. The idea of this is a place where we want to care for your needs. We want to pick the right shoes to go to school um, so that you have the right footwear to wear where you are. And I love that. I love that sense of we can all chip in. There's something of God in that. In fact, this past month, we've been looking at this theme. What would you... Oh, actually, yeah, before we get there, just jump back one up. Sorry, James. If you want to follow with us this morning and uh, you're wondering a Bible or that kind of stuff, on your phone, you can download this app, Version, and you can follow with us. Um, Book of John, John chapter 13 this morning. So if you don't have that, it's all free. You can download that and be part of it this morning if you want to just follow with us. This uh, month, we've been looking at the theme, What Would Jesus Do in the Land of Plenty? When I compare ourselves with East Timor, we are the land of plenty. They're one of the poorest nations in the world and they're our next door neighbours and yet we here, there we are, we've got the belly, we've got the barbecue, we've got the beer in hand, we've got the beach, lots of bees. And uh, that's, that's uh, one picture of Australia. What would we do in the land of plenty? Particularly if you wanted to follow Jesus. That's the question we've been asking. Now, if you're here this morning and you're just checking out Jesus, you're wondering, I don't even know if this God stuff's for real. It's a question that someone who follows Jesus is invited to ask. In fact, we've been following uh, Lulu and Tex um, uh, for the last three weeks, actually. In fact, Tex kind of likes Lulu. He likes her hair. He likes her stick figure arrangement of a body. And uh, he's been checking her out, but she's actually been checking out Jesus. And along the way, she's been discovering that she's asking another question, that it's not just WWID, what would I do, is asking text, but she's asking another question, what would Jesus do? Now, if you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus or even wondering what that looks like, let me ask you this, what's the criteria that you use in your life to make decisions that you have in your workspace, in your home life? What is it? What's the framework that you have and do you always live by that framework? 100% of the time, what informs you? In a similar way, Lulu's been asking the question, what would Jesus do? And she's been given a prayer. She's discovered that the first thing she's understanding about 
God is that he gives this prayer for her to pray. May your kingdom come, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lulu is discovering that following Jesus isn't just about waiting to get to heaven when she dies. She carries that assurance of having been saved and actually coming into the family and the life of God for eternity. But she's discovering that it's more than that. It's not just twiddling her thumbs in waiting. Somehow she's to be actively involved using her hands and her head, her mind, her body to actually do something of what God's on about here on earth, just as it is where God dwells. In fact, she's heard a passage from the Bible that goes something like this. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares God, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future. Now, she reads that through her cultural context. And she's wondering, does that mean God's going to make me famous? Does that mean if I get to know Jesus, he's going to make me rich? Does that mean that all of my desires will be answered and God becomes somewhat like a genie for me? And she's discovering as she prays this prayer when she wakes up in the morning time, may your will be done, that she, she's understanding that it has to do with her hands and her head and her intellect to somehow use all of who she is to do something of God's bidding here on earth, just like it is in heaven. And along the way, she's discovering what to say yes to. In fact, two weeks ago, we looked at this particular passage. It goes like this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus said these words on a mountainside. Blessed are the meek, not the weak, but the ones who, who move around in this world um, being gentle in spirit, not poor in spirit, not not sort of proud in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, not because they're grieving things, but because they look at the world around about them and they see that it's not all right. And so they mourn when they watch the news. They think something should be done about this. We can't just let injustices go by. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be like God. They, they will know God. They will be part of his family. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, not the dirty in heart, not the crooked in heart but the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers, not those who stir up conflict and want to repay violence for violence, but the ones who are actually like God himself, God's children here on earth. He said these are the qualities that reflect someone who's encountered Jesus in their life and they strive for them. They strive to make the world a bit more like God would have it. In fact, someone's flicked her a book. They've gone ahead and flicked Lulu a book and it's titled In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. Some of you might have been reading it, In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. In fact, you can download it um, on, on the internet for free. Some of you I know are listening to it on your way to work. Uh, some of you are reading the book. It was written 100 years ago. It sold more than 30 million copies. And the simple proposition was this. Uh, a minister of a church said to his congregation, if you woke up in the morning and you just made this simple pledge, Jesus, what would you have me do today with my life? How would you have me act and live in my workspace, in my school, in my... And then he encouraged them and he challenged them. Whatever and wherever your conscience leads you, act on it. Act on it. And so if you've been reading that book, even though it's 100 years ago and it's a very different place and a different world around about, you bump into someone who's a brilliant singer. And they're wondering, should I chase the fame thing? And they're saying, oh, I wonder if God's given me this great voice, if I can allow it to use in such a way that God would use it to lead people to places of beauty and wonder. I wonder if there's a way I could use my voice that's not just about me. 
there's someone else who's quite wealthy and rich. And they're, they're asking this question and they're wondering if God's tapping them on the shoulder saying, could you use your wealth to benefit other people less fortunate than you? There's someone who's part of a business, a company, that's discovered, he's discovered that there's been this money siphoned off for years against the employees. And he knows that if he says anything about it, he's going to lose his job, his name's going to be mud, but he believes it's the right thing because there's a legal practice taking place. There's someone else who's the editor of a newspaper. Now, this is a hard one. And he's wondering, what should I publish and what should I not? Because that's tricky. The pathway he goes down, I'm not sure if I would embrace, but he's asking the question, what would I say yes to and what would I say no to? In fact, just last week, Lulu's been figuring out not just what to say yes to, not always being someone who says no all the time. What can you affirm in the life of the community around that's God-like, just like the I Am Sam clip? But she's also learning through Jesus' temptations what to say no to because the yes doesn't make much sense unless there's a no to something, right? Right? Right. So what she's discovering here is that these are the temptations Jesus faced that you and I face all the time. The little whispering voice that says, just serve yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. Just promote yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. Just rule yourself, even if it means conflict and violence. That's okay. Because as long as you get what you want, that's the most important thing. Because after all, AMP has told us that you are the most important person in the world. Lulu's discovering that there's all kinds of evils and injustices that take place when that kind of thinking is allowed to run rampant and wild. She's learning what to say no to. I had a friend I was talking to a number of years ago. He was working in a very blokey, blokey place. Anyone here work in a very blokey, blokey place? Okay. I'm going to cut that illustration. It's completely irrelevant for here. However, he said to me, I was working in a real blokey, blokey place. And uh, I noticed in this blokey, blokey place that uh, when I went in, uh, there was all these pictures of these amazing women up everywhere. Um, but they're the kind of pictures that uh, your grandmother would blush at, Right. And he noticed, he said, every day I went in there, there was more blokey blokies there and there was more girly girlies there and uh, pictures everywhere. And then he said, at lunchtime, what would happen is that um, there was a TV in the lunchroom and uh, there were tables all facing towards the TV. And he said, and then there would be these movies that would come up that kind of wouldn't be your PG rated movies. They'd be kind of like your more your MA 15 plus R, 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 R movies. And he said, this was kind of the lunchtime diet. So whilst they were feeding on their sandwiches, they were feasting on, on the human body, right? And he said, you know, I just had a bad feeling about this because what I discovered is that those pictures actually diminish the beautiful body of a woman and make it something less than. It kind of dehumanizes it and kind of constructs it in a way that just puts it down to one thing. And, and frankly, that doesn't say enough. We should be celebrating the human body. We shouldn't be just compartmentalizing it. And it does nothing for the guy's head. All it does is diminish the guy. It's very addictive. And for the girl, it just sort of creates an environment and a world in which women are just looked at in one particular way. He said, I, I need to do something about this. So he was asking the WWJD, the what would Jesus do? He said, I've got a brain, I've got an intellect, I've got hands, I've got feet, what should I do? So this is what he did. I like this. He said, 
I noticed that there's a lot of blokes in that blokey blokey place that were family men. So what I would do is whilst they were eating their lunch like this facing the television, I would come and pull up a chair on the other side of the table and I'd eat my lunch looking at them. He said, then I would engage them with questions like this. So how's your wife? You've got kids. Tell me about them. Have you got a little daughter? Tell me about what's happening in her world. Tell me what's happening in her school life. I'm really interested. I want to know. He said, at night time, when everyone left that blokey, blokey place, he said, I would take down some of those girly, girly pictures. And then the next day, there'd be more blokey, blokey pictures sort of being put up there with, with girly, girly frames. And then he said, I would do this. And so for the next two months, there was this happening. At the end of the work day, I said, what happened after a number of months? He said this. He said, there was one of the old blokes that came back to this workspace and he said, huh, this place has changed. Don't like it as much now. What's going on? They're all getting really nice and goody. He left. And he thought to himself, well, I might be having an effect. Little different ways in which you and I can think about what does it mean to say no to things and yes to other things in a way that might engage without just being the whole uppity, self-righteous, we-know-it-all kind of thing, but well thought through and well-intentioned. You see, that's what Lulu's trying to discover. What does she do with her hands and her mind and her intellect? How should she use her influence and power to shape the world? Should she use force? That doesn't work. Violence breeds violence. Should she try and be manipulative and coercive? That's been done before. Maybe she should try and get into government and legislate people to act a particular way according to her framework. Now, can't transform the human heart like that. What she's discovering along the way, though, is there's one thing that's true when evil is left to go unchecked. She discovers that it's so easy for power to corrupt. It's so easy for influence to corrupt. It's so easy for the way in which I wield my authority, whatever it is, in your space, maybe your authority, it's so easy for authority to be corrupted. Isn't that true? And it happens all day, every day. You look at our governments. You watch the news, the people who are called to account. You look at schools. You even look at churches. I mean, you just look at the news that's been on for the last number of years institutions that have become so inwardly focused that they've been a cloak for evil. And it's been appalling. The devastation in people's lives has been simply that. Devastating. And so easily, power can corrupt with those little words, serve yourself, rule yourself, promote yourself at the expense of others. The truth is, they're the same voices that impact us. And so Lulu's wondering, if she's following Jesus and asking this question, what would Jesus do? She's wondering what to do with her intellect and her hands and her feet and her body. She wonders, how should she deal with the influence and the power that she does have to exert upon the world around her in such a way that doesn't perpetuate the same institutional evils that we're living in the overflow of a generation later. How does that work? Knowing all these things, it says that Jesus on the night before he was betrayed and crucified, 
Knowing the way in which the kingdoms of the earth operate. It says that after supper, he took a bowl and a basin. And Chris, can I get you to grab that for me and just place it up here? There's a jug of water on it. Be really careful, mate. Yeah, that's good. You are a wise guy. I meant that in the positive sense, okay? That's good. I'm going to bring that over here. Fantastic. It says that he took a basin. And, and this is what Chris read earlier. Then he poured water into a bowl and began to wash the disciples' feet. He took some water and he poured it into a basin. Now, we don't have this custom in Australia because we cover our feet. Have you noticed that? You might go to someone's house and they actually say, could you take your shoes off because you don't want the dirt from the ground to come in. But you also find that when you take your shoes off, that you wear your socks. Have you ever walked in someone's house with socks? It just kind of feels intimate, doesn't it? It kind of feels like, man, I feel a little bit naked here. I just, it's intimate and it's warm. But at the same time, it's, it's earthy. And, and see, what, what would happen in this culture is that the just uncommon practice would be when someone came to someone's house because they wore sandals, the dust of the feet would gather. And so someone would wash their feet. He came to Simon Peter. Master, said Peter, what's this? You washing my feet? You don't understand what I'm doing, replied Jesus, but you'll know in good time. I'm not going to have you washing my feet, said Peter. Never. You see, that role was a servant's role. And if you lived in a culture like that, I don't know, we don't in Australia, hierarchies of importance and value, we don't have that sort of stuff happening in Australia. It's just in the Middle Eastern times. They had this hierarchy, right? And, and, and so at, at the, when you go to someone's house, you have your dirty feet. And, and so what they do is you take your sandals off and the servant would, would wash your feet. Really earthy and grounded, yeah? Have you ever washed someone's feet, by the way? In fact, have you ever taken much notice of your own feet? They're kind of unusual objects, aren't they? They're blistery. They're crinkly. They're odd shapes. I mean, they're not the most honourable part of our bodies, are they? I mean, you might think you've got wonderful feet, thanks, Stephen, but, but most people probably think, I like to hide my feet. This would have been an incredibly earthy, intimate experience. But at the same time, very levelling. And so, wash the feet, and that's what a servant would do. And Jesus, he says, after supper, he took off his outer garment and kind of wrapped a towel around himself, another garment, and he would sit down because they would have their feet extended out from the table and he walked around and he knelt and he began to wash their feet. Peter, Peter seeing that Jesus was taking on the role of a servant, he reacts this way because he kind of goes, Jesus, you are my king. I believe you are God's son. This act is beneath you. It is absolutely Beneath you, I will not have you washing my feet like a common servant because you are my king. Never. Let me just pause there for a moment. This is just a life principle here, whether you believe in God or not. I want to say this to you. If you want to be successful in life, what you say is beneath you sets the ceiling of how far you're going to go above you. What you say is beneath you Sets the ceiling in your life about how far I think you're going to go in success above you. Now, I know it doesn't always work that way because the, the, the rules of operation in our businesses aren't always the same as that. But it's true for success with God. What you say is beneath you sets the ceiling above you. I don't do that stuff. I don't wash nappies. I don't do the nappy thing. I'm a dad. That's beneath me. Just set a ceiling. I don't do that stuff. I don't pick up rubbish. That's for someone else to do. 
Just set a ceiling. I don't talk to those people. Why would I waste my time with them? Just set a ceiling. I mean, how far you go in in success, if you like, in God's ways on this earth is determined by, if you like, what you think is beneath you. And Jesus seemed to have this understanding that nothing really was beneath him, (laughs) which meant that his ceiling above him was open (laughs) to God. And so he washes feet. And then what happens along the way is that after this encounter, this is what's said. Thanks, James. If, you don't, if I don't wash you, replied Jesus, you don't belong to me. <laughs> this is Peter then going, whoa, 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 whoa. All right then, Master. Not only my own feet, wash my hands and my head as well. In other words, what Peter's trying to say is, Jesus, I am so into you that if that's the rules of engagement, could you take this bowl and tip it over my head? <laughs> and that's Peter. I just want to be so into following you that could you tip the whole basin over? And Jesus says these words, someone who's washed Peter doesn't need to wash again except for their feet. They are all clean or they're clean all over and you are clean, but not all of you, referring to Judas who was about to betray him. In other words, what Jesus was saying is this profound little pause in the midst of this ceremony of washing feet. What he was trying to say to Peter is that when you come to know me, you get washed clean. Now, I brought something else with you this morning. I brought a cup of dirt because this is all nice water and if I got your feet up here washed, it would be dirty by now. Is that all right? And what he did was, this is me doing this now. This is not there. Let's just add some dirt to it. Let's just mess it all up. Now it's pretty muddy and dirty. Jesus says, you know what? If you come to know me, you get washed clean. doesn't mean you're perfect, but what it does mean is that sometimes when you stumble and fall, when you sin and other people sin against you, that you can be washed clean again. See, my wife understood this illustration profoundly a few weeks ago. She's a a chaplain at a school. She was teaching CRE and she she took out a, a note like this and she said to the students, is this valuable? They all went, yes, Mrs. Arnott, it's valuable. It's 50 bucks. 50 bucks. Would anyone like this 50 bucks? Might be coming to you, Kieran. Oh, no, wait a second. No. Serve yourself? No. <coughs> she said, what would happen if I crinkle it up like this? Now, is it still worth something? Kid said, yeah. It's worth 50 bucks. She said, what happens if I put like this and stomped on it and rubbed it in the ground and picked it up again. Is it still valuable? And the kid said, yes. She said, what about if I put it in mud and I dirty it up and I make it real messy and I scrunch it up like that? Tell me this. Is this valuable? And the kid said, yes. And she said, you know what? If there's a truth in this world, it's this. That you and I walk in a broken world where people have sinned against us where people have done wrong by us and we feel bruised and battered and pushed around and kicked in the dirt. But in God's eyes, are you still valuable? Yes. See, the the other truth in this world is that sometimes we do and say things to other people that that are wrong, that are jealous and envious and pride and rude and self-seeking and if you like, we damage someone else all the time, even when we don't intend it. We sin too. But are we still valuable in God's eyes? 
Yes. Loved infinitely? Yes. Worth dying for? Yes. To pay a penalty, a price that we couldn't pay so we could be forgiven too? Yes. And what Jesus is trying to say here to Peter is, Peter, if you come to know me, the living God will reach down into your life. If you like, take his towel begin to wipe and wash you clean. Begin to pour his spirit and his life into you to heal you of the batters and the bruisings of this world. We'll forgive you for the, for the guilt and the things that you know you've done wrong too because none of us are squeaky clean. We're all sinners and we're all in need of a saviour and we all need someone to forgive us and to transform our hearts. But I tell you this, God's love never stopped beating for you. You're his child and the problem is in our world and the kingdoms of this earth is that we equate when something's done to us. We think it makes us a lesser. Hurt people hurt. They hurt others, they hurt themselves. Wounded people wound. And Jesus came to fix that because we're of infinite worth. He said, if you come to me, I'll wash you clean. You'll know me. My life will be in you. I'll be rich. I'm going to tell you here this morning that I believe that there is no person, there is no power, there's no possession that we could fill our lives with that would give us this sense of peace because only God can give that. And you can experience that and know that if you placed your trust and you turn to Jesus and you welcome him into your life. And what he says he will do is that he will reach down from his heavenly places. He will welcome you to his family because you're of infinite worth, in need of repair. And he will forgive and wash you clean. He will declare you to be in the right before God. And, and, and he will begin to bring a wholeness into your life that nothing else, no possession, no power, no person could give to us and fill. But through knowing the living God, the one who engages this world. The one who died for you. He went on and he says this. Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and master and you're right, that's what I am. Well then, if I, your master and teacher, washed your feet just now, you should wash each other's feet. I've given you a pattern so that you can do things in the same way that I did. God's blessing on you if you do them. See, if you're here this morning and you have been bruised and battered by the world, I'm sorry. What makes it even worse is that I know some of us are here because we've been bruised and battered by people who are supposed to live by that mantra. The church. How even more deeply wounding. Because it's, we expect more, don't we? And I'm sorry. You see, because at the heart of following Jesus in knowing what would Jesus do is this understanding of power which is more in terms of serving others not to become a doormat there's a wonderful phrase in the movie uh, life is beautiful that goes something like this god serves man but he's not man's servant jesus said no to things he wasn't a doormat but what he did seeing the infinite worth and value in every human being he would love and give his life and serve so they may be lifted that they may know god that they may be forgiven that they might experience god's power at work in their lives when people who stand at his name fail and fall short of that, it wounds even deeper. If you're here this morning, that's you. I'm sorry. But could I invite you, as you may be distant from God as a result of it, or even wonder, God, I, I want you, but I don't want the people who follow you. 
If you might ask God to do a work in your life. Because I can't. All I can say is I'm sorry. And to say that the community here should be a place where we learn what it means to actually serve and live and love for one another. Not just because we have to, but because God's life is beating within us. We're going to have a song played in a moment. It's going to be a song that I invite us to reflect beforehand, maybe to pray. You've had a handout that's been sitting with you the last two weeks and I'd invite you this morning. Why don't you take this with you? And why don't you go ahead and reflect on it? What would Jesus be saying to me? Because we've been looking at this theme, what would Jesus do in the land of plenty? And I would have failed miserably here over this past month if you go away from this entire month and you've never even asked that question. (laughs) It's okay, you don't have to. But from right where you are, if you might even give it a crack and a shot and say, Jesus, if what does it mean to follow you? Maybe it means just asking that question in the first place. See, because I picture NCR as being a place where profoundly good things happen, where we say no to certain things, but we say yes to other things and have a little representation of what God's life here is on earth because he said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth and not so amongst you to repeat the kingdoms of the earth here in this place where I dwell, among you. So there's four ways that I invite you to just reflect and maybe engage with God. Have you even asked the question this month? I remember when I was younger, I used to say, no, I can't ask that question because God's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. He's mean. I haven't discovered that. I've discovered he's the one that washes feet. That if I'm going to follow anyone in this world, he's the best example and star. And he's king. This morning, maybe you're far away from God. Maybe you're at arm's length. You've just been lazy the last few weeks and haven't even thought about it. Would you ask afresh this morning, Jesus, what would you do, have me do with my hands and my intellect and my brain and my for you? Make a determination to say, wherever you lead me, whatever my conscience guides me, I'll do that and step out in faith. Maybe you're here this morning and you're following Jesus. Or by the way, if you'd like to get to know Jesus more, I'm starting a journeys group tomorrow night. You're welcome to that. Just let me know afterwards. Love to invite you along. Very informal, no pressure, discovering Jesus. In the school, in the workplace. Before you go to your workplace this week or your school or wherever you go, that you might dare to ask that question, Jesus, how would you have me live today in this workspace for you? And wherever your conscience leads you, wherever it guides you, that you might step out in courage and do that. And the friendships this morning. As I've been talking this way, you realize, hey, I'm the one who's damaged someone else. But you might go to them as a result of this this morning and say, can I put some things right? I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Don't hold on to bitterness. It takes root. It distorts us. The last thing I heard someone say to me last week, is it all about serving God? I went, No. It's about dreaming big. It's about saying to Lulu and Tex, when you come to know Jesus, we want you to be a world changer. There's some people here in this room that I want to create, that I want you to create the next bionic ear so people who are deaf can hear better. 
There are people here who have got the smarts and the capacity to actually create things and make things for good that you should do. And I want you to dream big. There are some of you here this morning that are entrepreneurs. And I want you to be an entrepreneur and say, Jesus, how would you use my entrepreneurship for you? There are some of you who are here this morning who are businessmen and women. And I want you to ask the question, well, how can I use my influence for good in the world? There are some of you here that might just be saying, I don't do any of those big, great things, Troy. Can I dream too? And I say, yes. You might pour your life into one other young person and you invest in such a way that they become a good citizen, a great citizen. They've experienced the love and life of God because it's been real in you. Dream big, NCR. Don't go for smallness. Go for bigness because God's a big God and he celebrates the small and the bigger light for people who just come to him and say, use me, use me. I know I've chatted a lot, so I'm going to be quiet now. As Pete plays for the next short while, I'm going to invite you to reflect, to pray, maybe dare to say, God, what would you have me do? Jesus, what would you have me do? And I dare you to follow that wherever it goes. Just sing with me. Jesus, be the center. Be my source. Be my life. Jesus. Jesus